на трибунах холеют знамена, Облака под небесни плывут. На зеленом ковре стадиона разноцветные майки цветут. Hello and welcome back to the Russian Football News Podcast. Once again, we had a double game week with both a round of midweek and weekend matches. With me now is once again, David Sanson. Hello, good to be back after a little break. And Andrew Flint. A pleasure as always, James. First of all, moving away from the RPL slightly, Stanislav Cherchesov announced the latest Russia squad for next weekend's Nations League fixtures. Firstly against Serbia at the Lev Yashin Stadium on Thursday, and then on Sunday away to Hungary in Budapest. There's been some surprises, well, or not, considering Cherchesov doesn't like to call up youth and his, trust, his trusted lieutenants. The squad is as follows. In goal, Guillaume Shanayev Shunin. Defence of Zhikia, Karavayev, Kudryashov, Neustadter. Petrov, Sorokin, Semenov, Fernandez. Midfield of Bakayev, Zobnin, Gazinski, Golovan. Zemeletinov, Anton Moranchuk. Zhirkov, Mostovoy, Ozdoyev, Ionov, and Kuzyayev. And up front, strikers are Artyom Zuba, Komlichenka, Yevgeny Lutsenka, and Fyodor Svolov. There's been a little bit of a mixed reaction online there with some surprise omissions from the squad. Certainly a couple of younger players such as Alexander Maximenka, Safonov, Igor Deveev, Maslov, Umyarov, Klushenkov, Lesovoy and Chalov have all been called up to the under-21 squad instead. The surprises are Lutsenka from Arsenal Tula and Andrei Mostovoy. Now, funnily enough, uh, Yevgeny Lutsenka might not actually end up in the squad because he went off injured at the weekend for for Arsenal, but he wouldn't have played against Serbia anyway because he currently doesn't have a valid passport <laughs> and couldn't travel. They're hungry, sorry. <laughs> now, David, come to you first on this one. Are you a little bit disappointed, to be frank, with Tristani's squad or did you entirely expect this? I mean, it's disappointing, obviously, but I mean, can't say I'm not surprised. You know, I was mocking up teams... Um, the day before, the day of the of the announcement, I'm trying to think like you know who's on who's on form, who would I be picking? Um, and I think my three goalkeepers, I've only I've only picked one that he would have picked. Um, yes, but it, it's no surprise, you know. This is the guy who at the World Cup called up Vladimir Gabriel as his third choice goalie. Uh, you know, guy who's just his best mate, not very good. Instead of you know, one of the young or deserving goalkeepers, who then have to just sit in the stands and watch. So, um, yeah, not surprised. You know, he's the kind of guy who does this. He he says that, you know, young players need to prove themselves first, but you know, they, some of them have proved themselves. And how are they going to prove themselves if you're not going to call them up? Um, so, yeah, a little disappointing, you know, especially as um, you know, these are competitive games and there are some form players who have been left in to go down to the under-21s, which, you know, on paper is a very good squad as well. Um, so, yeah, disappointing, but not necessarily a surprise, I don't think. I must admit, I do I do understand where Stanley's coming from in the sense that he, he has his men that he goes to, his, his go-to team, people like Kudryashov's in every single squad, Ianov's in every single squad, despite being the wrong side of 30 now. now I'm, it's not exciting, but it is understandable. What is ridiculous, really, to be honest, is is the amount of players who aren't just being played out of form, or called up who are playing out of form, but those who are being called up who just simply aren't playing. Kudryashov's played eight games in nine months. Neustadter is without a club. Uh, Kuzyayev is without a club. Now, there's plenty of others who have been playing badly, and some of these younger lads who are in the under-21 squad really should have deserved a chance to go up. To, to get that call-up, to, to play for the first team. And the big one for me that really irks me, obviously as a Spartak fan, bias must be mentioned at the start, is the omission of Alexander Sobolev. Now, Chichasov has mentioned himself this omission is because of a disagreement with Artyom Zuba. That was in the in the Senate Spartak game at the back end of last season where the two had a little, little coming together and a little bit of words on the pitch. Now, it seemed like nothing at the time. But we didn't hear what was said. Seemingly, it was a lot worse than what it looked like. Andrew, how do you think that Churchesov has handled this Sobolev and Zuba issue? Uh, absolutely appallingly, to be honest with you. And the the thing is, I think he, I think Churchesov 
in general, is using up a lot of the goodwill he earned um, during the World Cup and the, the run-up to it. And like David says, he's, he does have his, his go-to man. And yeah, you mentioned it's understandable. Well, I, I can understand the logic. I just simply don't agree with it. But when it comes to this, with, with, with Sobolev and Zuba, I, I cannot understand how a grown man is basically treating this like a playground incident. Well, he did it first. He said it first. He's the one who's got to sort it out. Don't make it in public, you nutcase. Say, get them two sat down in a room together and say, look, you're both grown men. If you've had words, you talk about it, you explain it without getting out of control, and you find an agreement. Otherwise, both of you are out of the squad. Just be as simple as that. I think this is a major problem for the youngsters. You mentioned under-21 squad, and it's got to be one of the best under-21 squads. That, you know, in Russia have had a lot of good youth teams playing recently. I even saw a tweet from... Um, our, our contributor, Artyom, who said, I reckon the under-21 team could probably beat the senior team. Um, I mean, I don't actually think. It's not actually as ridiculous as it sounds. Um, and they see something like this, where clearly Chichesov has... He's he's confirming what we already knew, but even more so, that Juba is virtually untouchable. And I think it sends a wrong message to the youngsters. I don't mean that he... I don't mean to say that he should be attacking his captain. and He just doesn't need to make it public. Because by making it public, he's really he's gonna he's gonna make Sobolev, even though they may or may not have patched things up. However genuine it is, I don't really know. Um, but Sobolev's gonna be a little bit tentative in these national team squads because in his place is only going to be instead of two, but not alongside him. They're too similar. Um, he's a, I think long term Sobolev could be a fantastic striker for the national team. So to not have him in in that squad, and to not be able to manage the characters within it, um, he's going to get found out very, very soon. So many, like you say, of these players are wrong side of 30. Um, that is bad enough. But when you throw your lot in completely with them and say, look, um, you've got a, a young lad who quite probably was, it was probably handbags at best. We'll never know exactly what was said on the pitch. But for Christ's sake, guys, come on. You're grown men. Sorted out properly. But Chichesov is supposed to be the manager of Green Men. And he's acted, I think, the most childishly of all. Yeah, that was exactly my reaction when I first seen that as well. I seen the Sobolev was out and I was mystified because, to be honest, I completely forgot about that moment because it was such an innocuous small moment in a game. And then I remembered looking back, and at the time it was kind of like a meme on, on Twitter. There was, and on VK, there was Bartak fans all over, like, Pushed like hailing Sobolev as this sort of hero. I mean, they hate Zuba. He was he wasn't great for Spartak. Went to the rivals. The Spartak fans despise him. And it seems like it's been made more of a deal of in hindsight with with over time as it was actually there and then. And I, I agree entirely. It's Chichesov's job to to sort this out. Now, David, what's what's your thoughts on this? Do you think he's just giving into Zuba a little bit, or or I mean? He's a captain. He's a star player. Does he have to? I mean, yeah, I, I agree with Andrew. I think um, the right way to sort it, you know, he's he's put the onus on Sobolev. So basically he's saying, well, this presumably is your fault. This is what, you know, in the, in the media he said, you know, this is for Sobolev to sort out. Um, you know, he, once it's sorted, um, he's, he's ready. But it, apparently it showed to him that um, Sobolev wasn't ready for it because he has, you know, arguments with someone who he's going to be a direct competitor with uh, and that wouldn't be good enough but I think I think uh, Andrew is exactly right you know you bring them in bring them both in and say look we need you two to work together get over it job done you know he, he's lost his place in the squad for this reason to um, you know two strikers Komlichenko and uh, Smolov who you know in the, in the calendar year have not been in as good form as him uh, so yeah, it's a shame for him. Um, absolutely. Um, but hopefully, uh, you know, we're hearing that, that Sobolev's taken that onus and has called Juba and made, made things up. So hopefully going forwards, he can get a, get a call up. And uh, um, as we say, uh, Litsenko limped off, uh, limped off the field this week. So um, there, there may be a spot for him to come in. Who knows? We don't know. We don't know how fit Litsenko actually is. Um yeah, I, I wouldn't be surprised if Lutsenka does does pull out. He's only available for one game anyway, and then now he's he's not going to be fully fit. 
it's it's there's no coincidence that you see in the same day these two stories appearing. Obviously, it's just conjecture at this stage, but from my point of view, I think it would be the best thing to do anyway. Let's look. Let's think. I deserve these call up. He's had a great season, but you need to look to the future here. And far too often, Chichesov is, is not looking to that future. Hence, why the majority of the team are either out of form or over the age of thirty. Now, next, we'll just do a quick roundup of some of the key matches from the last two game weeks. Now, I want to start off with Dinamo versus Zenit. The blue, white, sky blues lost for the first time in 2020. And personally, I was really impressed with Dinamo's defensive solidity in their 1-0 win. Now, that was, they were back to the stellar best after a poor game, a 2-0 loss against Arsenal Tula, in which Yevgeny Litsenka came back to haunt his old team. Now, Kirill Novikov made a slight tactical tweak, tweak in the game, calling up Tony Sunic for the first time this season to partner Roman Yevgenev and Ivan Odets in a back three. The Bosnian put in a man-of-the-match performance, completing 11 clearances, 5 tackles. He won all of his ground duels and 75% of those in the air, crucially also including the winning goal. But David, the game was also not without controversy for the first time this season. Well, I think the, the main controversy which I, I was seeing online, um, having not, not seen the game live, I was, I was watching another game. Um, the main one seems to be the, the penalty decision that went against Zenit. Um, Early in the second half, Malcolm went down. Um, but for me, it, it wasn't a penalty. It was a very soft one. Now, you know, there was contact. Uh, there was an arm on his shoulder. And I think um, as he's running, his foot has caught the, uh, Kabore's leg behind him and he's gone down because of that. Uh, but there's no foul there. Um, and I, I think that was the right call. See, we had a couple of red cards, one for each side. Um Having seen them back, I think they were, they were probably both just warranted. Maybe Barrios's was slightly harsh from, on one of the yellow cards, but um, Skopintsev's yeah was a, was a red for Dinamo, and, and the first yellow card for Barrios was was certainly there. Um, but I, I think uh, Zenit fans are maybe reaching a bit with the penalty call that went against them. Yeah, I mean, I, I laugh at the at the because like Twitter's an echo chamber, and social media is. <laughs> You, 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 their algorithm works that you see likewise accounts. So obviously I follow a lot of Spartak fans on Twitter. And it was quite funny just how many of them were aghast that they got a decision to go their way and Zenit didn't. Look, there's no controversy against, there's no conspiracy, sorry, against either team. The referees in Russia are all crap against all the teams. Look, let's be real. Now, <laughs> I, I do agree though, Barrios's was a little bit harsh, but I think it was just the nature of the game. Look, it was... It was completely unnecessary in the way the game was panning out. It was just getting bitty and fighty and quite feisty. And I think the referee, to be quite honest, just hadn't had enough. But Andrew, was the performance itself, was that a case of Dinamo's solid defending stifling Zenit? Or was Zenit themselves just not at the races? Um, I'd say it was, uh, I'd say about two thirds stifling defending and a third Zenit not quite there. Um, I mean, playing a back three was, I think, a sensible decision because. When you've got a two-man attack, which is so rare in modern football, especially in Russia, in Azmun and Zuba, who work so well together, they're physically challenging, just to have that extra body around when you've got the knockdown to either striker, you know, other players are coming charging and you need bodies in the box. And it works, basically, because there were a number of times when Driussi or Azmun were having runs towards the box and it was scrambled defence, but they had the bodies there. And it's a very, very basic way to deal with it, but it, it did work. Zanit were... They took a few too many slightly speculative efforts from, from far out. I think they almost just assumed that they would end up scoring without really having to... Without really having to carve the, the chances out more efficiently, but they... I think they're not really going to worry too much um, at the end of this, uh, at the end of the season. I don't think this is the result that is going to see a run of, of defeats or drop points for them because they are still by far and away the best side in the country. Um, but uh, I think Dinamo certainly, certainly Kirill Novikov has done extremely well. He had a plan and it worked. Yeah, I can't agree more. It, it, <laughs> this is not going to be some sort of weird winter curse for Zenit this season. I think that's that's a thing in the past, to be quite honest. When you've got the the sheer ability and and of the players, of the management, and everything in Zenit right now, the, the will bounce back. It was just one of those games where very very rare games as well, where Hasmoon, Zuba, Barrios, and Rakitsky are all playing pretty rubbish at the time, to be quite honest. Now, moving on next is obviously the 
obligatory Spartak minute again from myself, where Spartak actually won back-to-back games and are now unbeaten in the last six. That's the best run under Domenico Tedesco. They dominated Loco at home, despite conceding an early Murillo header. And now they've actually conceded more goals than any side from set pieces since the start of last season's RPL, even Andrews Ural. <laughs> the turn of the tide changed, though, when first Dima Barinov <laughs> and then Alexei Marantov suffered <laughs> ACL and hamstring injuries, respectively. Spartak then managed to turn the game on its head in the second half with a brilliant goal from Jordan Larson, who peeled off the local back line and curled home from a tight angle inside the box before Sobolev, the man himself, won the game with another fine header near the end. Now, David, just how big was that injury to Moranchuk in the game? Did that Was that the turning point? And could it scupper possibly his chances of a move, a move abroad? Um, well, I mean, we, we've been sort of bemoaning Loco over the last um, couple of months since Nikolic took charge. Uh, but until that game, he was unbeaten. Um, so we've got to give him some credit. Um Although a lot of it was down to the to the goals and form of Moranchuk, um, you know he, he was pretty much carrying the side. Uh, Alexei, that is. Um, and so yeah, him and Baranov going off were, were, were big losses there uh, in the middle of the park. You know, Mikheyev came on and he's a he's a decent player, but he is very young still. Um, but at least at least he's there and can be a good foil for Baranov. Uh, but for Moranchuk, he, his ability is just so much head and shoulders above the rest of the team that that um, they they lost all spark uh, after that. Uh, not that they'd even started the game amazingly well. You know, they only scored off a set play. Um, they had one good chance, which Anton Moranchuk had in the second half, where he got away, and I just don't think he realised how much space he had. He started to turn back when he was basically one-on-one, um, which was a shame for him. Uh, as he needs to get back on form after some injuries and suspensions. Uh, so, yeah, it's going to be a tricky, tricky job to to replace him uh, while he's injured. Um, hopefully it's not too long an injury. Um, and, yeah, hopefully it doesn't scupper any move. I think uh, Churchsov said that uh, he's going to use this winter, the not winter break, the international break to negotiate with Atalanta. So hopefully it's therefore not serious enough to... to to block any transfers, and I'm all for him going to Serie A and to Atalanta. So, fingers crossed that that, that doesn't um, put, uh, put a spanner in the works for it. Yeah, it didn't seem too bad. I mean, with hamstring injuries, you never know. It could be anywhere from three weeks to six weeks out, and and hope it, it looked quite innocuous. It was just one of those little things that happens in games, and and hopefully you can get back from that. Now, I must admit, if I wear my unbiased hat, my RPL hat, if you want to say, is I was kind of a little bit excited to see how Anton Antoshka would step up in his brother's absence. Previously, when Moranchuk's been injured, Antoshka's kind of now and again took the game by the scruff of the neck and controlled it and, and really stepped up for his brother. He didn't do that against Spartak. And to be quite honest, I think a lot of that was because of Barinov's injury. Barinov is huge for Loco. And as soon as he went off, you just seen Alex Kral just came to life. He started, so not, not poorly, but he was just anonymous, really, until Barinov went off. And then everything after that was through Kral. He just orchestrated, him and Umyarov alongside each other, orchestrated everything. And Makayev, as you say, he's young. He couldn't really stand up to Kral playing the way he is and has been for some time with Spartak now. And Krakowiak's not really the sort of player that you would expect to dominate a midfield. He's not the water carrier. He's the more explosive one, the man who's going to get behind the number 10 and make the runs forward. Now, Andrew, you're a big fan of Kral. Did he impress you? And mm. maybe do you think anyone else deserved praise? I, I think he is absolutely magnificent, Kral, as a player. I think his his versatility is, is kind of underrated, but he don't need to because he's so good in central midfield. Like you just described so well, he he just dominates play. Play goes through him. Now he he started life as a centre back in the Czech Republic, um, and he's he's moved forward into midfield. He's played a bit there before. Now he's uh, he's your definitive defensive midfielder, but he's a classy defensive midfielder as well. His passing is so good, and and I think I think when you've got a player like that, the sort of player that you can give the ball to, and you say, well, I'll give the ball to him, and I know he'll do something well with it. I can relax now. You know, you know, he will take the ball in awkward positions, and he very, very rarely wastes possession. Um, you don't see him playing just simple return passes, which which don't achieve anything, or sideways passes. He he's moving the play forward the whole time. Um, I I honestly think he is 
he's a serious talent. And I think he is arguably, arguably Spartak Moscow's most important player. And because we've talked a lot about how Roman Zobnin's form has been probably the best form of his career in, in the last, I don't know, six months, 12 months or so. Uh, and that certainly is true. But the way he's been allowed to get forward and to explore that sort of his form is all down to Alex Crowell. Um, and, you know, when you've got Ezekiel Ponce, Jordan Larson, Alexander Sobolev, you can't really fit those three into a side. They don't always play together, I know, but you can if you've got Alex Crowell. He is that good. Um, so, yeah, you're right. With Baranoff going off, I think it was a huge, huge part of the game. Um, Crowell was just able to dominate even more. And uh, seriously, if Spartak can hold on to him, then he's he's a player you can build a side around, in my opinion. Yeah, certainly. And if you look at Zobdin as, as well, that was a good good example there. So his upturn in form coincided with Kral's arrival. Now, Zobdin had a little while where he'd been off the boil, where he, he was getting back from that long injury, which really scuppered his progress a couple of years ago. And alongside, particularly the outfall last, alongside Glushakov, he was terrible for a, for a, quite a while after that injury. Now, his spark in form recently has been shifted by a move to right wing back. And Tedesco doesn't play with a three anymore in there that he did last season with Bakayev much deeper. He's now either put a man either side of Sobolev, or as he did in the last game against Rutter, uh, Bakayev was as a number 10, supporting a very advanced Larson and Sobolev. And that's basically down to Kral and now Omyarov, because both of them, are, and, and Zobdin are wide, the three of them are just, ex- and Ayrton on the left, the fo- they exude energy, stamina, and exuberance in there. Where we haven't seen it some time in Spartak, even Carrera's side, they haven't seen that sort of dynamism and willingness to get back and forth. And in midfield, it was more so about controlling the game. It was about the Fernando, essentially, it was the Fernando show in midfield for a lot of the time. So it's it's lovely to see, and it's it's, it's very much a Tedesco move. Tedesco had the same at Chalka with a young and dynamic midfield. Now, David, aren't your boys, Rubin? They, they now won two in a row with victories over Siska and Ufa. So what did you think about these games, David? Were you impressed? Um, certainly in the in the Ufa game, um, signs of improvement at least. Um, you know, we started the season with some with some bad luck. I would say the the local game we had a couple of bad decisions go against us. The Oral game I felt we had a, maybe a dodgy decision go against us as well. So I thought I thought they were they were points available in there. Um, and then obviously we 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 went and bottled it against Sochi. Um, Following that, two goals conceded in the last five. Um, but yeah, against Cisco on the weekend, um, solid, solid performance. You know, we didn't have a lot of ball um, first half. Uh, we we took one chance very well, and and we scored from it. Uh, Oleg Shatov in in the side for the first time and getting involved in that goal in the build-up. Uh, obviously, we conceded almost instantly, which has been uh, something of a downfall of late. Um, but then uh, Dennis Makarov comes on, and I, I was bemoaning him because every time he got on the ball, he was just just trying to get a shot off, and it was like he had teammates in better positions. He was trying shots from outrageous areas, uh, and it, it's something that he's he's known for doing. Um, you know, it's something that I've known, spotted him doing since he joined us um, at the turn of the year. You know, he, he just his main idea when he gets the ball, he just wants to get a shot off, no matter pretty much almost where he is on the pitch, uh, and then blow me down. 92nd minute, he gets the ball about 30 yards from goal. He's moving with it. And I see Kavicha, he's in on the left. And I'm thinking, just play that, he's in. And I, I loudly swore at my TV, don't shoot with a swear word in the middle. <laughs> and then he pinged it in top corner from 25 yards. Um, uh, so I, I'll take it. And then, uh, so yeah, that, that was a, that was a, an experience. Um, Ufa game, Shatov had a shocker. First half playing in the camera, he was even tired. He was showing no effort. He, anytime something went wrong, you could just see him sort of bemoaning his teammates. Um, and then half time, Slutsky made two changes. He brought on Makarov again uh, and the new Korean signing, Huang in Byom. And uh, we won 3 0 and they scored all the goals between them. Uh, it was an instant change that the Korean Huang just. Just had so much energy in the midfield there, really transformed the game. The complete opposite from how Shatov played in the first half. Plenty of running, always keeping his head moving, always watching what's around him. And uh, he was 
he scored the first, he was involved in the second and Makarov got himself two tap-ins um, just from being in good positions on the right side um, to to just finish off a little nice move. So a nice resounding win against uh, Buffalo team who are, who are struggling at the moment. Um, but I'm happy, so who cares? <laughs> I must admit, I genuinely didn't realise that Makarov has got four goals in his last three and, and what a signing for Ruben as well. If, if anyone doesn't know the, recognize the name, it's Denis Makarov. He was signed in January mm. by Ruben for yeah. what, 300,000 euros was it in? Well, well for, for a pittance, basically, off um, Nifta Kimik, who are the Tafasan team in the FNAL. Uh, you know, and it, it was this time last year where he was on a huge burner of form in the FNAL, where he started the season with like 15 goals in like the opening 20 games from midfield or something like that. Um, so maybe it's, uh, it's good to see him carrying over into the into the top tier this year. Now, there's a quick question on Ruby Nadufa. I must admit I was surprised because I, I didn't watch the game. I was was watching Spartak on the other side. And and it was it was bizarre. that I looked outside looking in. Makarov got two goals. Yes, he came on at half-time, but he scored two goals. But Despotovic was voted man of the match. So how, how good was Despotovic in the last couple of games? Um well, he didn't start against Siska, but every time he's come on, he's, he's you know, he gives us a different aspect to the game that Ignatiev, who, who's been starting, has. Granted, Ignatiev has scored a couple of goals and got an assist, so I can't bemoan his start of the season that badly. He's, he's finally starting to come into his own a bit. Granted, both his goals were penalties, but he's doing the job at least. Um, but uh, yeah, Despotovic was was just was just good in his all-round play. He was holding the ball up well. He was getting flick-ons. Um, you know, he provided the assist for, this, for the second goal, Makarov's first. Uh, he had a couple of good chances himself. Uh, his shot was blocked, which immediately rebounded to Huang for the first goal. He had a couple of the good, forced a couple of good saves out of Belenov. Um, yeah, it just it changed our game completely. And um, Ignatiev, whenever he's been starting, he's been getting hauled off after about 60, 65 minutes uh, in every game, even going back to last season. Um, Despotovic today, are against Ufa lasted 86 minutes. Uh, so that's the longest any strikers lasted in a in a Ruben match of late. And I think that shows um, just how he suited our game on certainly on that day. And we all know he's such a, you know, for the RPO, he's a very good striker for this level. Um, so, so yeah, hopefully he can start starting a bit more regularly um, and give us more performances like he did there. Yeah, I must admit, Spotovic just fits Rubin's style. I mean, Rubin aren't as much long ball as they used to be. They are getting it on the deck more, at least. They're still direct, but in a di- they're not just, let's smack it long. That's unfair to say for Rubin, but they are a very direct team. And Despotovic just helps them a lot in both senses. He's he's the perfect man to get to be the foil for people like Avisha and Makarov for the pace out wide. But on the opposite side of that is Rubin... Have still have a very talented goalkeeper and some very talented defenders. I think Uramovic is a very solid defender, but Starfelt is a bit dodgy for me. And and if the, the Serbian lad starts in defence, yeah, I'm, I'm not keen on him. So getting Rubin up the pitch with Despotovic as an outlet, I think, is is, is really really important. Well, yeah, the defence we had starting against Ufa was probably our optimal defence at the moment. We had. Um... Uh, Merkelov at left back, we had Urimovic and Starfelt, who had a much better game uh, in centre halves. And then at right back, we had uh, Alexander Zuev, um, who plays a right back a lot better than he does at left back. Um, and granted, we have got other right backs. We've got Samochnikov, who was um, brought in to play his first choice. And we have got Georgi uh, Zotov as well. Um, but Zuev had a very good game uh, at right back. Uh, and I'd be not surprised to see that defence start the next couple of games as well because they did a very good job. Yeah, and uh, it is. I mean, Starfeld, you say, played well, but it, remember, it is Ufer. I think Starfeld's one of those where mm-hmm. when he's put under pressure, he starts to creak a little bit. But anyway, the, you can't take the result away from them. They played really well. And Ignatiev, I thought, you just look better without him. And to go from one former Krasnodar young star startlet to another Krasnodar startlet, and in they one all draw last night with with Siska, Wanderson scored an absolute rocket. If you haven't seen it, you need to catch up with that one because 
takes it on his right foot and smacks it for about 30 yards out. And they keep then I can fair if has absolutely no chance. Highly recommend finding that on the RPL highlights. Now, to keep on Krasnodar, but let's go the opposite side this way. <laughs> Ural beat Krasnodar and lost against Rostov, Andrew. But how good was that performance against the Bulls? Well, it was um, it was refreshing. <laughs> I mean, I was all full of doom and gloom at the beginning of the season. And I said, I think, on our season opening season preview pod, that if we avoid relegation, that's a success. But the recruitment has been excellent. And we, we sort of, Odell played a formation pretty much without wingers. The whip came from the fullbacks. Um, Igor Kalinin has been one of the best players so far this season. And what that meant was that Podbiroskin returned to the side and he played reasonably centrally. He's sort of mostly on the left, but coming more centrally. And Vic Falvey had more players closer to him, which he needs, because I, I, I was really surprised to read this, but in hindsight, it actually makes sense. Of all the players in Uruel's squad, uh, Eric Vic Falvey has covered the most ground all season. He's covered 46 kilometres in five games. <laughs> Um, wow. it, it's, he was a lot, I, I said to um, my colleague Johnny, who who has a press pass at Odal as well, and we were at the game, and I said to him yesterday, I said, do you know who's run the most? And the last person he guessed was McFalvey. But that tells you a story. A playmaker <laughs> like that should not be doing the most. He should be doing arguably the least amount of running. He needs to be in the prime position. And against Krasadar, with Podbodoskin around him, Yegorichev has the engine. He's got a bit, bit of pace. Um, and... Daniel Miskic, a special answer to him, actually, because now with Rafael and Miskic, it allows Yegorichev to get further forward, which he's better at doing. He needs to have that um, that space. Krasnodar had one big problem, and you've already looked, you know, half alluded to it already. They had no Wanderson um, out wide, and he is it's just an absolutely electric player. Uh, and Krasnodar looks a completely different side without him. And I'm not going to say it was an easy result. It certainly wasn't. Krasnodar had far more of the ball as you'd expect him to. But it was a sort of performance that made me think that showed a bit of determination, but not just determination, quality with the ball bringing it out. It was more than just hoof it up and hope McFarlane gets his head on it. So it was it was encouraging. Uh, and of course, being Odal, we follow that up with a very disappointing drab 1 0 defeat. So, you know, we're back to not quite scrap one, but um, I, I'll put it this way I'll take those two performances as a pair, relatively non script against Rostov, didn't deserve anything from it, and a 1 0 win against Krasnodar, the second best team in the country, in my opinion. So, um, yeah, overall, I'll take those two games. I must admit, Jenny would never have guessed that that big Falvey was the man who ran yeah. the most. Yeah, absolutely remarkable. But yeah, it's true. Forty-six kilometers. Yeah, I mean, look, it's it's yeah, they weren't too great against Rostov. I caught some of that some of that game flitting between the Spartak one and and to be honest, every single time I looked, Rostov were on the ball. I barely seen Ural get a touch. But the last two games, we're talking like they need a little bit more dynamism, maybe some more pace out wide. At least El Kabir return and a proper striker, and then you think, well, that's what they need to, to challenge mid-table. Mm. Whereas f- five weeks ago, you were thinking, they don't have a defence, they don't have any so- hardly any solid midfielders, they're playing people out of position, they're relying on a 30-year-old bloke. They- so it's it's definitely looking much better for Real right now than it was. And that's partly because these signings, like Rykovs came in, has been an absolute rock alongside Gerasimov. Yeah, absolutely, definitely. Um, Rykov's been a, a really important player, because he's not... He doesn't appear to be a loud leader, but he's a dependable leader. And uh, Gerasimov is the ball-playing of the two, uh, the ball-playing centre-back of the two. And he's not a, he's not the best in the world. He really isn't the best in Ural's team, but he's still comfortable enough. When he has the reassurance of a, a partner he can depend on, which is not Varadzda Haroyan, he's just a yellow card waiting to happen. Um, <laughs> it's, been, it's been really... Really quite, really quite pleasing. There's been talk, I've been told by one of my um, colleagues in the press room in Yekaterinburg that Yevgeny Markov, there's been a lot of rumours about him coming and that's that's looking reasonably close. Um, Branko Jovicic as well um, is has, has been in discussion with the club. Um, personally, Markov is not the sort of name that will make you jump out of your seat, but it makes a, a lot of sense. 
because that could just be that last little piece of the jigsaw for now, at least. Um, the striker that would also desperately need. Um, and suddenly, you know, that thing's looking rosy. Markov has certainly been an interesting one. He's, he's been around a bit recently. Obviously, he was on loan at Rubian last year, been at Dinamo and Tosna of late, but certainly an upgrade in Panikov and an untested Karayev. It's unfair to judge him so early in his Ural career. So that could be a promising signing for Ural. And speaking at the bottom, look, all that's important for Ural is that there's two teams more, two teams worse than them, and there definitely is two teams worse than them, <laughs> and one of them's Kimki. <laughs> They've got three red cards in the last two games, two points from five, and are all over the place defensively. They got a point, though, against Arsenal Tula with a worldy goal from Kamran Aliyev. And if you also go on and find that, it's brilliant. He takes on about three or four men, pings it, bottom corner, Excellent goal. Really came out of nowhere as well. Arsenal were well on top by that point in the game. But Dimitri Gunko is just not the best manager. I really don't rate him. I never rated him in his little caretaker spell at Spartak. And I don't rate him at Kimki. He's only there because of this Spartak link that everybody involved at Kimki and Spartak deny, but everybody else in the Russian, English and common sense speaking world know exists. But since Talalayev left and then you ran, it just seems that They've lost all of their defensive ability and the discipline that got them promoted. They were notorious last season for the watertight defence. They rocked to promotion, conceding less least goals out of anyone in the FNL. Now, they've added to that with some RPL experience in Adowu. They've retained key performers like Danielkin, but it's all just going wrong. And it seems a lot of it is is tactical. It's, it's, they're just wide open and they make so many ridiculous mistakes as well, but the the most worrying part for me is I was doing a little bit of research into Kimki this this week as to why they look so different. And it's not just because they're playing better sides, because they're, they're playing just as badly against sides that are in and around them. But I've re- I realised that in f- five games in the RPL so far, they've received an astonishing 22 yellow cards and three red cards, including two in the same game against Akhmat. They were in the lead against Akhmat before these. Now, they're currently not taking the chances. They're far too aggressive and they're desperate for some RPL experience and quality in the top end. And unfortunately, recent signing, Alexander Lomovitsky, is not that. He's a nothing player, to be quite honest, most of the time. Hopefully, he can do something, but uh, Kimki, you're looking pretty damn poor right now. And I don't know if it's going to. I don't know if it's a short term fix, to be brutally honest. Now, Andrew, you caught Akmat Loco midweek in an absolutely crazy game <laughs> where they. The Chechens came up with a three-two victory. What did you think of that one? Well, um, you've got to you've got to say, Akma can pull out these. They, they tend not to get runs of form, but at the moment they're building one. Um, I mean, it was it was it was remarkable, really. Vladimir Ilyin is is a striker who we've mentioned, I think, a pod or two pods ago, <laughs> where I said to you, guess who was Oral's top goal scorer three years ago. Um, Ilian with four goals. He's, his strike rate before joining Akmat in his entire professional career was something like one goal in every five professional games. But in, I think it was the second minute, third minute, really good through ball, suddenly put him through into a reasonable amount of space, but it was reasonably wide to the right. And you'd expect being a right-footed player that he was going to just hit it right-footed. He tends not to look like he's got a lot of confidence when he's one-on-one. But he gets this ball uh, against against Locomotive, turns on to his left, and it was a beautiful guided finish into the far bottom corner. Um, but they didn't just set up shot. They, they kept on attacking. They hit the post. They, they scored three goals away from home. And this is a side that is not normally a high-scoring side. Um, Loco looked desperately poor. They, I, I'll be perfectly honest, they did. And... I mean, the uh, Akmat went down to down to ten men, and even then, they still didn't look desperately troubled. If I'm being brutally honest, I mean, there was a late flurry. Loco pulled a goal back, um, but then I think almost, I think he, Anton Schwetz in added time, <laughs> he, he was tussling for a ball with Grigor Kachoviak, and he was clearly just trying to stir him up, possibly try and get him sent off. I don't know, waste a bit of time. Um, he gets booked twice within the space of 15 seconds, practically. One was for a foul and one was for mouthing <laughs> off at, at the pole. Um, I mean, <laughs> it was it was, it was was an amusing end to the game, I'll be honest, for the neutral. So, Akron finished with nine men, beat a team that's qualified for the Champions League. 
this is the beauty of the, the Russian Premier League for me. You can act at a side who very rarely score lots of goals. And yet last season, I think it was 4-2, they beat Krylia Sovietov in a relegation dogfight. Now they've just gone and scored three casually with nine men against the Champions League qualified side. You know, um, what can Ahmed do this season? I mean, they've only lost once. Um, they've scored eight goals. I think only Zanit and possibly Sochi. I'm not sure, but certainly Zanit are the only or uh, two sides that have scored more than them. Um, and suddenly, Ilian yeah. has got three goals in five games and looks like a striker. I mean, <laughs> I don't know where this transformation has come from. It <laughs> definitely didn't happen in Yekaterinburg, I can assure you that. But um, I know you won't be desperately happy to hear me praising Ahmad like this, James, but I, I hate to say it, but they, they do actually look a, a capable side. Um, and when you've got the likes of Bernard Berisha and Odise Roshi out wide, I know Roshi doesn't always start, to be honest, but I can't understand why. But my God, he scores some crackers. They've got pace. They've got experience in the middle when um, when you've got Ismail Silva and Alia Givanov, Simonyov at the back. And their fullbacks, I think, are two of my favourite fullbacks in the Russian Premier League in Nenohov and um, Bogusevic. So, it, actually, it's a really good side. They could they could do some damage this season. Yeah, I'll allow the Akmat talk for good because, to be honest, they deserve it. They've been very good right now. Now, I just want to pose a quick question to you both. Now, who do you think of all the midfielders in the since the COVID restart, who's completed the most tackles and interceptions in the Premier League? David, who do you think? Just a quick one answer. Um, it's going to be an attacking midfielder, probably. Uh, I can't even think of any midfielders now, which is stupid. Go <laughs> <laughs> uh, Barrios. So I was going to just say I was the way, actually. Oh, it's close. Andrew, what do you think? Well, well, David, what was your guess? I didn't quite catch. Uh, I was the way. Uh, I'm going to go left field and say Konstantin Kachayev. <laughs> I've got no idea, to be honest. I'm just <laughs> gonna... It's actually surprising. Artem Timofeyev, who's obviously just signed oh. for Akhmat, mm. I was quite surprised at. He had a, he had a really good second half of the season at, at Krilius, particularly after the COVID break. And he's kind of just followed that form on at Akhmat. Now, I was a little bit worried about the team down in Grozny because they lost Klushakov. Now, I don't like Klushakov for obvious reasons, the whole Spartak thing, and he was crap for us at the back end of his career. But the, the, and he, but he was the man who kind of propelled them to safety before the COVID break. Akhmat were woeful. And then Klushakov remembered that he's a footballer and remembered that he gets paid to play football, so he has to then play good. So he scored, what, four goals, five goals at the end of the before the end of the season, basically saved Akmat all on his own. But he was released at the end of the year. And now they've replaced him with Timofeyev, they got on loan from Spartak, and he's been absolutely brilliant. Genuinely really good. And then Link, who, he links up really well with Ilian, who has been playing as a 10 for the last two games. I, I genuinely wouldn't have imagined Vladimir Ilian putting, getting into good form as a striker, never mind playing as a number 10. But moving on to unsurprising unsurpri- good form is we're going to do a quick little five-minute focus on Sochi now. Now, Sochi have been currently third in the table and are actually unbeaten this season. Christian Nubois is the joint top scorer in the RPL with four and one of the currently highest performing players in the league in general. The most startling statistic, though, is that Sochi have actually only lost one game in the last 14, which came against Zenit. Now, those who might give a quick Google and have a look is that Yes, they did lose against Krilia and Tambov 3-0, but that was because there were postponed fixtures. And they never actually played out in that. Now, David, do you think this this form is sustainable? No, I, I don't think they've really still yet have effectively replaced Alexander Kokorin. Do they need to, to continue this? Well, you, I think I think it is unsustainable. I mean, they've, they've brought in uh, Rudenko, or Rudenko um, to sort of replace Mostavoy and uh, Kukori up top. Uh, and obviously they've brought in Jarzinho to try and help do that as well. Um, but it it's not working for them at the moment up straight up front. Um, you know, I did a quick tally because before the pod because I, I knew they scored quite a lot from set pieces. Um, and of their nine goals this season, um, eight of them have come as a result of some sort of set play, whether that's direct free kick, a corner, a free kick, uh, and only their like, and only their very very late winner against uh, whoever they played this week. I forget some boring team, 
uh, <laughs> Tambov. Uh, only that was the only goal that came from open play. Uh, and it was Naboa who's scored four goals from midfield already. Um, so I think it's a combination of Naboa's form and the fact that they're either good or set plays or they're playing teams who are bad at set plays, i.e. Spartak. Granted, they only scored from penalties against Spartak, not for actual set plays. Um, so, uh, so yeah, it seems unsustainable when you think of it like that. Um, like even the three that Rubin conceded, one was a direct free kick and the other two you know, with a corner which the keeper was distracted on the second ball and then the other one was a flicked header from a free kick. It's like They're all preventable goals for teams to, you know, not to concede those. Uh, it's like, uh, you know, when you think of them all, the two they scored against Rotto as well, both from, from set plays. Yeah, it doesn't seem sustainable. Um, the verdict's out on Rudenka yet to see whether he can adequately replace Mostavoy or Kukorin, whoever he's been brought in to replace. Sabalotin, he's not really doing the business up front at the moment. He, he's back to his Zenit best at the moment, I think, uh, personally. Uh, but Mistral's sort of the one who's carrying the team going forwards um, with Naboa, you know, doing all the hard work in the field. Um, it's a shame to see them so high up because I think we all sort of don't want them to be there as much as we sort of want the stadium to be used. Um, we're ha- I'm happy for it to be used as long as they're sort of sitting near the bottom of the Premier League. Um, I can deal with that, but not not <laughs> Yeah, I agree. I think it's completely unsustainable. Now, if you look at Nabor, don't get me wrong, Nabor is such a talented footballer and he obviously got his big move to Zenith a couple of years ago, but was criminally underused at Zenith. Now, partly because opposite, the players who play alongside also have good quality and it's difficult competition. He also then ruptured his cruciate ligaments quite early in his Zenit career. But he only started 19 games in his whole career at Zenit. And he's far better than that. I mean, he, he is re- his form right now just shows how talented he is. But it's naturally going to be unsustainable that a 35-year-old over the course of a long season cannot put these style of these types of performances in, just like a young lad can't. They're no longer in their prime. It's it's just a natural physical thing, especially after playing, not playing for so long and now continuing on. It's going to be a very long season, this one. So I, I agree. I just think it is unsustainable. But to Sochi's credit, they they currently lie third and deservedly so as things stand on the points. And one of the reasons for that has been an ever increasingly stronger defence, especially considering the start of last year when the defence was all over the place. And it now consists of Emmanuel Zamana, Zamana, Emmanuel Mamana, who came unknown from Zenit. Andrew, how do you think that he's improved Sochi's defence? I mean, is it purely better for the fact that Ivan Novoselsev isn't in the team alone anymore? <laughs> you have literally just taken the words out of my mouth. That was really honestly going to be what I was going to say. Um, I mean, to me, okay, let's, <laughs> let's let's be fair to Sochi. Um, Ivan Miladinovic is he's. The beast at the back. He's the he's the the Nemanja Vidic of the defence, if you like. Um, not exactly cultured, but he does put the fear of God into strikers, and you need that sometimes. Um, but Mamana is a, and I think it's a very very good move for him. By the way, uh, it makes a lot of sense for all parties. You know, when we saw the wave of Zanit players coming in over the last what six uh, in the winter, there were a few loans that came in. Kakoyan, obviously, and Mostafoy being two of them, but. Uh, Mamana's, I don't think anybody complained, and it, it's, it will really genuinely help Zanit because they will have, uh, when he comes back from the loan, it will help them immensely. Um, but they have a system that works. If they have, if nobody's injured, they will be fine. If nobody's injured, I think they will finish comfortably in mid table um, because. You've got, you know, Nabor is taking all the limelight at the moment for his goals and he is playing very, very well and he's a quality pass. But like you say, he cannot sustain this level of performance forever. He's 35 years old. He'll be 36 um, after the winter. Uh, but when you've got the likes of Kirill Zyka, for example, he's got a really good eye for goal. He's, he cuts in from the right quite a lot. And I, I like the way that they use him. He does offer a little bit of surprise, if you like, out wide. Um, availing Popov is a strange one for me. I cannot really understand why they brought him in. Um, yes, he's got experience, but I just think he slows the play down even more than they already do. So, 
Um, Jalzinho could be their best signing, though, for me. Um, their defence is great. It works well. It's a system that they know. Um, but if they get two or three major injuries, I think they could be in quite a lot of trouble. Yeah, I must agree that Jairzinho is, is, is definitely the, been the smartest signing so far. It's a little bit underwhelming, to be quite honest, to replace him with Mustavoy, but it, it's one of those that just makes sense in that he, he brings some valid, some really important experience down there. And, and it's it's essentially him and his set pieces along with Naboas, and that's been propelling Sochi so high. If you look at the Rubin game, for example, the, the first goal that Miha Melvia scored, the Jairzinho knocked the ball in, Jupin cleared it and stood on Melvia's foot during the course of, of the corner. And he was like, kind of busy saying sorry to Melvia. Pretty poor from him, to be quite honest, even though I do rate him highly. He, he should have played to the whistle. That's the first thing he taught as a kid. And then Chazinho, to his credit, seen that about 20, 30 yards away from near the corner flag. <laughs> in first touch, played an absolute beauty of a ball straight back in for Melvia to then knock get in and knock into the goal and it was, it was, it was brilliant from Jairzinho and nobody seen it coming. Chupin was duped by it. Everybody else, uh, Ruben defence is nowhere near it and that's Jairzinho. That's where that experience, that know-how comes from is that just how much faster his mind thinks. On average, he's, this season he's been getting 3.5 key passes a game and he's got two assists in his last three games as well. And that's been it for this week's or, <laughs> that's been it for this week's episode of the RFN podcast. Check the website out at RussianFootballNews.com. This weekend, the Basement Boys face off against each other as Kimki hosts Rota, an early relegation decider. Elsewhere is a Southern Derby on Sunday as Krasnodar hosts Rostov, and then the international take, and, and then the international break takes over proceedings. I've been James Nichols at James Nichols on Twitter. David, the latest scouted football handbook's out soon, right? Yeah, that's right. I think it's actually uh, just been released for sale and. Uh... We, you can find uh, myself in there again. I've written a profile on a player we talked about today, Mr. Alex Crowell. And uh, as we all know, he's a very nice player. Um, so yeah, if you, if you fancy that, then uh, give him a look at, at Scouted Football on, on Twitter. And Andrew, where can we find you online? Uh, I'll be on Twitter at Andrew M-I-J Flint. This has been the RFN podcast. Goodbye for now. Здесь нужны тренировка и воля, быстрота, увлечение, расчет.